When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Triple A, AAA. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It's Thursday, April 6th, 2023. Triple A. Not the people who come and get your car. I'm talking about the minor leagues. Triple A is where you put veteran players who are sort of trying to make it back. They're old. They may get a call up. They may not. Their depth, their organizational depth. Triple A players are where you put your not best prospects, but you put some prospects. Maybe you get some arms, some innings in Triple A, but Double A is where your best prospects are. Your best prospects go from Double A to the major leagues. Triple A, they're in some good cities, Vegas, Oklahoma City. People go to those games. Those teams are worth money. 25, 35, 50 million dollars. They draw, you know, 6,000 people, 5,000 people, tons of promotions. People are proud of their team. Triple A baseball should not outdraw Major League Baseball. That is a basic rule and principle that you're taught in president school when you're going to run a major league team. You do not want to ever announce attendance that will be lower than a triple A game. Now, there's some triple A cities that can draw 11,000, 12,000. The Oakland A's announced yesterday, a couple days ago, 3,600 people, 3,700 people at a game. 3,407 to be specific. People are up in arms. John Fisher, the owner of the A's, is purposefully making the team stink so no one comes so he can move the team. He's purposefully announcing low numbers so that Major League Baseball owners will agree to help him move the team. It's all a bunch of poppycock. Let me explain to you exactly what's happening in Oakland. Stuart Sternberg tried to do the same thing in Tampa, where he was excited to announce actual crowds, thinking it would lead to the need for a new stadium. David Sampson in Florida, once upon a time, announced actual crowds as a way to make people think, wow, they need a new stadium. But then David Sampson realized, I'm, I'm not Ricky Henderson. Why am I talking about myself in the third period? That's not the expression. In the third person. Four, eight, two, six, nine. Why am I talking about myself in the third person? That's ridiculous. 
I ran a team. I made up attendance. There, I said it. You've heard me say it. I made up attendance. I never would want you to think that there were fewer than 10,000 people in the ballpark, even when there were 2,000 people in the ballpark, because the attendance lives in a box score. The attendance lives in the total number that's released at the end of a year. You are weighted against other teams in the league. You're weighted against how you did as a franchise in previous years. These are all things that I paid attention to. I didn't break the law. I didn't break any rules at the Second or third inning, I would tell our CFO the number of tickets that we were going to buy as a team. We bought them at a dollar. No one cares what our average ticket price is, except for every other team in baseball would see how low our ATP is. And the way you get a low average ticket price is by having thousands of tickets at a dollar. And you know what the per cap was on those tickets that we bought for a dollar? It was zero because none of them bought hot dogs or beer or any merchandise, or even parked a car, because they were ghosts. The reason they were ghosts is they didn't exist. However, it enabled us to announce a level of attendance that would not be embarrassing to Bud Selig, to Rob Manford, to Jeffrey Loria, or to me. Our players all knew, the media there knew, people in the stands knew when we'd flash the attendance, 10,699. Wait a minute, I just spent nine innings counting and there's 3,000 people here. Well, wait a minute, I would say, we're not announcing turnstile, we're announcing paid attendance. Paid attendance is anyone who bought a ticket. Raise your hand, I bought a ticket. Do you remember the last game of the season? God, Coco, what season was it? Come on, when we had an anonymous benefactor buy like 40,000 seats so we could finish not last in attendance that year? Who do you think the anonymous benefactor was? We made it up. We bought the tickets ourselves and called it an anonymous benefactor. I was too ashamed to acknowledge the fact that we were announcing like 48,000 in our final game when there were only 10,000. We would always make it up where it would be reasonable. You got 4,000 in the park, you can announce 11. We always did pretty much a 2X multiple, like we were selling a business. Give me a 2X multiple of the gate. And then we would always have the name, the number of fans in the seats correspond to something cool, like somebody's birthday. So if your birthday is February 26th, like mine is, one of the attendances would be 17,226. If the person throwing the first pitch was a celebrity, we would figure out the celebrity's birthday, March 4th, 18,304. Sometimes we would do it according to actual phrases. We were unhappy with Frank Robinson for measuring the mound once. So we yelled F.U. Frank and the attendance ended with F.U.F. when we would play the Nationals. Sometimes when Larry Beinfest was upset and he would be yelling LMA, which you know what that may mean, we'd end this attendance with the numbers corresponding to LMA. But there's a purpose that we are doing everything we do. I understand what John Fisher is trying to accomplish here. I really do. He believes that if he announces the actual attendance, and I believe him that there's 3,407 people coming. Now, do you think that means there are 3,400 season ticket holders, full season ticket holders for the Oakland A's? I want you to think about that math because it can help inform you what people's sort of base is, their actual fan base. Don't forget that if you buy a 40-game plan, you are not a full season ticket holder. You need two 40-game plans to equal one full-season ticket holder. So I get to say I've got two 
season ticket holders, but they would equal one full season equivalent. So you can play around with numbers every one. We've got 4,000 full season equivalents, but I can announce an attendance of 12,000 because they could all come on the same day because three of them own a seat because they have 30 game plans. Or I could announce 3,400 people and I could have 3,400 full season equivalents and therefore fewer than 3,400 are actually at the game or more than 3,400. It's not even correlated. But John Fisher, the owner of the A's, wants the people in Oakland to see what a problem it is. Here's a message for you, John. The cat's out of the bag. That may have worked four years ago, five years ago, three years ago. It doesn't matter anymore today. Now all you're doing is embarrassing yourself and embarrassing the league. You should be making up attendance like the rest of us because why make that the narrative? Do you think that all of a sudden the politicians in Oakland are going to give you more money? Do you think that baseball is going to be more sympathetic to your plight or help you even more on what your expand on what your relocation fee would be or help you more on the revenue sharing side or on the discretionary fund side, which the commissioner controls because he sees there's only 3,400 people? Do you think when you're sitting in a negotiating table at a room where I've been and you look across the table at the people in public and you say, hey, God damn, we need a new stadium. We only had 3,400 people yesterday. They'd look at you and say, all right, and we're not going to levy a new tax. We're not going to give you a higher percentage of the existing tax because there's 3,400 people. Do you think that we're going to bring our offer down if you announce 25,000 and increase our offer if you announce 3,000? You can't be that silly. Coke is in my ear. What? Yes, of course I did. Coca wanted to know when Roy Halladay threw that perfect game against us and we sold tickets after the fact, whether or not we then redid attendance to include the number of people who bought those tickets. Of course I did. What do you think? I fell off the turnip truck yesterday? Attendance has nothing to do with who's there at a particular game. If we sell tickets after the fact, they get counted. And by the way, SDTD. So do the dogs. <laughs> it's true. We'll count anything. So if you are Major League Baseball and you see what Oakland's doing, you're picking up the phone and you're telling John, you have to stop. This is not a productive PR strategy. Do you think that this helps their chance of moving to Vegas? People are writing about it. People are, we're moving to Vegas. It has nothing to do with attendance. It has to do with whether or not the financing is going to happen for a deal in Oakland. Well, it has to do with the fact that there's a $33 million payroll. You can't expect to have anyone come watch a $33 million payroll team. Yes, you can. I expect people to come watch a team win. The Tampa Bay Rays. If you're not going to watch the Tampa Bay Rays, don't think if you're Stuart Sternberg or Major League Baseball that all these people are going to come out of the woodwork and go to a new stadium in St. Pete. You're living in avatar land. I'm in the middle of watching that movie, Coke, and I forgot what it's called. Nani? Nani? Poppy? What's the name of the, of the place where they go where everyone's dressed in blue? God darn it. Dang it. James Cameron spends $20 billion, and I can't even think of the name of the place. It doesn't matter. What are you, living in la-la land? People should be going because the Tampa Bay Rays are good enough to make the playoffs again. Their pitching staff's good enough to throw a shutout every single day. They've got depth and intelligence, the likes of which the other 29 teams can only dream about. 
their efficiency and cost per win is number one, which is what every owner wants to win. They put up the chart at the owners' meetings. Teams, wins, cost per win, which is obviously a function of your payroll and your number of wins. You think it feels good to have a $300 million team and only win 80 games? Or does it feel good to have a $70 million team and win 90 games? Which list do you think owners like to see themselves on? You want to be first in that slide. You don't want to be first in the teams losing the most money slide. Even though you say you don't care, Steve, you care. You know you care. You want people to think you're responsible, that you know what you're doing. So the A's were outdrawn by like 10 AAA teams yesterday. Everyone's going crazy. Everyone's upset. I think it's going to change. I really do. A lot of things are happening early in the season that we've talked about each day for the past week, I guess. Something else happened yesterday that was going to be in the show, but you asked a question about it. So I'm going to read the question. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter at David P. Samson. Hit follow. Get in Instagram. Hit follow. Get anywhere. David. It seems you disagreed with Cardinals manager regarding Tyler O'Neill and his effort. Why not hold your players accountable? Well, thank you for asking. I appreciate that. And here's my answer. So many of you asked about this situation. Tyler O'Neill is an outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. The manager is a guy named Ali Marmol. Good manager. The team is a really good team. They just got swept by the Braves, who are a better team, but the Cardinals despite the Brewers having swept the Mets and having a better record, the Cardinals are a better team over 162. Wait to see. It is a very sensitive thing that gets discussed between managers, GMs, and presidents when you have a situation with the player where you feel as though the player has shown up the manager, the player has done something to show up his teammates, or the player has acted in a way that is going to be divisive both on and off the field. Base hit, Tyler O'Neill's on second base, There's a glut of outfielders, by the way, in St. Louis. They need to trade somebody. They need to get more pitching, but that's a side note. Tyler O'Neill, base hit to Acuna in right field. O'Neill gets a break from second, tries to score, gets thrown out by eight feet. And there is a thought that Tyler O'Neill was not running hard. When we are watching games from the box, we are looking for things. We're looking to see where players are positioned. We know where they're supposed to be positioned, both on defense and on offense. We know which players are supposed to have what size secondary lead off what pitchers. We know when there's a hit and run. We know what's happening during the game. So we are watching to see whether players are paying attention and doing their jobs. Tyler O'Neill gets the jump, gets thrown out at home. And for whatever reason, that is semi-inexplicable to me. Ali Marmol came out and said, That is not our style of play as far as the effort rounding the bag there. It's unacceptable. He said this in the post-game availability that managers, by rule, have to give after every game. There is a 10-minute period in between the end of the game and when the manager meets the media. Those are the 10 minutes when we're in the manager's office. President, GM, talking to the manager. Here's what happened. The PR guy's with us, too. This is what's going to come up. How do you want to deal with this? There are times when we want to send a message publicly to a player and we will use the manager's availability to send that message. There, excuse me, that was a sneaker, not the Robert Redford kind. There are times 
when we close the clubhouse, keep it closed for an extra minute or two because we want to meet the team. And we want to make a point immediately after a game about something that happened. Then we open up the clubhouse and we make sure that whatever we talked about does not get spoken about by the players or the manager. We have PR interns and PR assistants who are monitoring player interviews. They're monitoring the manager interviews and we keep track of everything. But Marmol decided, and it can't be at the request of John Moziliak, who is a veteran president of baseball operations. He knows very well that in the first week of the season, calling out a player does not benefit either the team or the player. We are one week into a season. But David, this is what some of you may be saying. You've got to nip this in the bud. Let me be clear. I am not saying we are not confronting Tyler O'Neill if we think he is not exhibiting maximum effort. What I am saying is we are not doing it publicly because when you do it publicly, the player's ego gets involved and the player is forced to respond and Tyler O'Neill did. Tyler O'Neill said, manager didn't think I gave the best effort. I'm out here every day grinding my ass off, giving it my all, trying to stay on the field for 160 games. And then said, these conversations could have been had in-house and not gotten out on the loose like they have. Should have been handled a little differently, in my opinion. Now we've got a three-alarm PR fire for no reason. Lack of preparation, lack of practice, lack of repetition, lack of follow-through, lack of communication. Something broke down in the Cardinals' way. That famous playbook that every other team has that they say they're the only one who does it. Something broke down because why would the Cardinals in any way think that they're benefiting in any way from what Marmol did? So what I'm doing is I'm going down to the clubhouse and I'm talking to the manager. I'm saying, listen, you better meet with Tyler right now. We'll take care of whether we trade Tyler. We'll take care of whether we're going to bench Tyler. But you go talk to him right now and you tell him with other players listening, I want you going to his locker. Sometimes we call a player into the manager's office. Sometimes we send a manager out into the main room. The reason to send a manager into the main room is when you want it to be known to the other players that you are wrong and that you are reaching out to the player to say you're wrong, to talk it through and to get past it. When you call someone into the manager's office, it's like being called into the principal's office. And there are certain moments and times and circumstances where that is necessary and others when it's the wrong play. In this instance, I want Marmol out there talking to O'Neill in front of everybody because what I need is Arenado and Goldschmidt to see what Marmol has done, get the team together without the manager, the coaches, and say, all right, this is done now. Let's move on. You need the veterans in your clubhouse to take control and you need to give them the space to take control and you need to give them a reason to do exactly what you want them to do which goes back to my general feeling about leadership. It's getting people to do what you want them to do, but making them believe it's their idea. Putting people in a position to have ownership over their actions, ownership over what they say, their words, that is the toughest part about leadership. And Marmol and the Cardinals failed in this case without a question. Thank you for that question. I do hold players accountable. It's just the way in which I do it. Hey, 
Do you see that Tim Anderson got ejected yesterday? For those of you who are not baseball fans and you're tuning into nothing personal, that's okay. I'm good with that. We cover all sorts of different sports. We're going to talk about Lamar Jackson later on in this show. But I want to point out that two days in a row, we've had superstars getting thrown out because of a pitch clock violation. And it's not that you get thrown out if you're in violation. You just get a called strike. But when Manny Machado and Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson is one of the best people in the game. When he believes he's been wronged, he's going to say something. When Manny Machado believes he's wronged, he's going to say something. They got a strike called on them. They were trying to get time out, in Manny's case. The umpire did not grant it, called strike, batter violation, where you have to be standing with eight seconds left on the clock, facing the pitcher in the ready position. They argued and they got thrown out. Before the season started, Major League Baseball said that the umpires are going to enforce the pitch clock violations and they're going to enforce it with reckless disregard to situation or to player. The reason why those had to be the rules given to the umpire is that you have to make the players understand that they have to change their behavior, whether it's the first inning or the ninth inning, whether they're making 40 million a year or 720,000 a year. You have to make the players believe that that rule is going to be applied consistently and correctly as people get used to the new normal in baseball. Rob Manford and the rest of baseball is not sitting there in their offices despondent that Manny and Tim got ejected. They actually view this as the perfect situation to let all the players understand that we are sticking with these rules. They are working. And until you hear from us otherwise, the umpires will be calling it on anybody at any time for any violation. That is an important lesson to get now in April. As you watch the months progress during this season, as we get to October, I will make you a promise, a guarantee. There's been people writing about it. Ken Rosenthal had an interesting piece. I think it was you, Ken, saying that maybe we should get rid of the pitch clock. Maybe it was Jason Stark. I can't remember. I'm sorry. That we should get rid of the pitch clock for the postseason. Let the drama happen. Let me be very clear how this is going to work. There will not be a postseason game that ends on a pitch clock violation. There will not be a player ejected from a postseason game for arguing a pitch clock violation. MLB is too smart for that. If a player argues balls and strikes and shows up an umpire, there will be ejections. If a player argues and shows up an umpire over a violation during the postseason, There will be a manager who will step in and the umpire will hold off, send the player away, maybe eject the manager, but most likely be told walk away. There will not be postseason games that will be decided by violations of this rule. I promise you, it is only the beginning of April. We're not even in the first. How many games have people played? What's the Mets record, Coca? I'm going to keep reminding people of this because the math is so compelling. I think the Mets are five and five or something. What are they, Coca? Three and four. Seven games. We're still, I'll tell you where we are because I like doing this. It's fun. Remember, 10 baseball games is roughly an NFL game, assuming 160 games and 16 games or 16.2 games. There's really 17 games. Doesn't matter. Call it nine, whatever you want to say. We are still 
like two minutes into the fourth quarter of the first game of the year. Yes, that's early. All right, we come back. I watched a show, an entire show, and I did enjoy watching Hong Chao, and I did enjoy watching Lucianne Buchanan. I didn't mind seeing Gabriel Basso, who I hadn't seen since the uh, the other show he did about uh, J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance, is that his name? I can't remember the show he was in. I'm totally blanking. It's called The Night Agent. When we come back, we're going to review it. And then we're going to talk about what's going on with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson because the Ravens general manager said something in a pre-draft press avail that was fascinating. Come on back and we'll discuss it. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you very much for making it through the gauntlet of Metal Arc monetized commercials and for watching us live every day on YouTube. Stay tuned for the end of this show. We are going to have a giveaway and a trivia question for people who are listening to the show live, for people who are subscribing to YouTube. If you are not yet a subscriber to YouTube, get on YouTube, subscribe, because we're going to do fun stuff. We're also going to have giveaways for people on the audio side. Don't you worry. We care about you too, maybe more. Hmm. I wonder what our contract is with Metal Arc. Which do we care about more? Spoiler alert, both. Okay, the night agent. Someone told me to watch it. One of you texted me or DM'd me and said, watch the night agent on Netflix or Amazon. I don't even know where it is. 10 episodes. The guy who played the uh, Coca, come on. Can we just stop the show for one second? Can you stop a live show? What movie was Gabriel Basso in? He played a real character who just got elected. His last name is Vance. He went to Harvard, and now he's an extremely political character in real life. I just can't think of it, and it's driving me absolutely crazy. It is J.D. Vance, but what's the damn movie? Oh, Hillbilly Elegy. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. So the night agent is about a guy in the FBI who gets assigned to work a night shift. If that name hadn't been taken by a Michael Keaton project, then this would have been called the night shift. But they called it the night agent because he's an FBI agent. He works in the middle of the night and he's involved in this crazy conspiracy. Everyone's trying to kill someone. It goes all the way up to the president, the vice president. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does. Who's in charge of what? Who wants to kill who? Who's trying to start what? There's great intrigue. There's a chief of staff. Never, never will there be a chief of staff like John Spencer and Leo McGarry. But all of that said, there's a lot going on. And after 10 episodes, you say to yourself, God dang it. 
I am as unsatisfied as eating a half a roll of cookie dough. Once you start and you're going to have a stomach ache, you might as well finish the damn thing. That's how I felt watching Night Agent. I wanted to stop. I should have stopped. I didn't stop. And then after I finished, I said, wow, I thought it would have been smarter to stop halfway. And now my tummy's killing. You want to skip 10 episodes? Skip Night Agent. Okay. Can we talk about the Ravens now? This is going to be an interesting one to me. When I saw this, I was shocked. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about people whose job it is to speak into a microphone and look into a camera. We offer media training to players. We offer media training to those executives who will be talking to the media. I was media trained in French. I was media trained in English. There are ways to bridge answers. One of Jason Stark's golden rules, that's two mentions today, Jason, golden rules, only answer the question you want to answer in the way you want to answer it. Always go into an interview prepared to answer questions that you're going to be asked in the way you want to answer them. Be prepared. Have a game plan. When you are the Baltimore Ravens general manager, I'm just throwing it out there. Hi, my name is Eric DaCosta, and I'm seeking help from a PR consultant. I'm going to be meeting the media as we go to pre-draft workouts and figuring out what we're doing. And I'm just spitballing. Do you have any idea what kind of questions they'll ask? Hmm. Let me think about this for one second. The Ravens drafting. Oh, I know. They're going to ask about what type of player you're drafting. Like, are you looking for best available? Are you trying to shore up the offensive line? Do you think you need some help defensively? No. You're going to be asked about Lamar freaking Jackson. Seriously? Did anyone out there listening to this show say, hmm, the Ravens GM is meeting the media. I wonder if they're going to ask about the guy they signed to a non-exclusive franchise tag who hasn't actually signed the tag yet. The fact that he demanded to be traded hasn't been traded and no one signed him to an offer sheet. What the hell is going to happen? Nah, why would anyone ask that? Seriously, what is wrong with you people? So the Ravens said, here's what we're going to do. The questions are going to come about Lamar Jackson, and here's our answer. <laughs> I swear to God. I understand the need to ask those kind of questions. I think just out of respect for the process, this is a draft luncheon, and we're going to try to keep as much of this discussion as we can to the draft, to the coming weeks, building the best football team we can build. So I understand those questions. I think we've spoken about this situation probably five different times this spring in various different press conferences and such. So we're going to try to just kind of defer to those questions and move forward to the draft. OMG. Please tell me that was not approved answer. Please tell me that the PR people didn't say, Eric, here's what we're going to do. When they bring up Lamar Jackson, I just want you to say, nah, we're not going to take those questions. Or we're going to pretend we didn't hear those questions. Horse hockey. Answer the question. Tell us what's happening. Tell us exactly what you want to tell us and exactly what you want the fans to know and what you want Lamar to know and what you want Ken Francis to know. Well, thanks for asking that question is what I would have Eric say. Obviously, we want Lamar Jackson to be part of this team. We have spent days, weeks, years trying to show him what it would be like to have a Super Bowl winning team here in Baltimore. 
We have full confidence that he wants to be a Raven as well, despite what he may have said in the past. We are hopeful that he will sign the friend, the non-exclusive franchise tag, and that he will lead our team deep into the playoffs toward the Super Bowl next season. In the meantime, we will continue an open line of dialogue as we figure out collectively how to ensure that our franchise quarterback remains with us for years and years to come. That's it. Thank you. Well, I've got a follow question. No, I think I'm going to go back to that. What's your follow question? Well, have you spoken to Lamar recently? We are in contact with Lamar as often as is appropriate as we try to get to a place where he is happy and we are happy and he is the franchise quarterback for years to come. Sorry, one more question about that. Would you ever consider drafting a quarterback? Oh, yeah, of course we'd consider drafting a quarterback. Why wouldn't we? Well, wait a minute. If you just said you were going to draft a quarterback, if you're drafting a quarterback, does that mean you don't think Lamar Jackson is going to be on your team? Absolutely not. We think it's actually good business. If there's a good quarterback available, of course we're going to take a good quarterback. You you can't have enough good quarterbacks. Why wouldn't we want someone to protect Lamar in case of injury? We are interested in winning Super Bowls here. Lamar Jackson is needed to win a Super Bowl. But if Lamar can't go one week, we'd love to have someone better, better, better who can take over. When you are in a press conference like this and you have been asked not to answer a question, you have to stand up because you're the one with your face in the microphone and facing the cameras. You have to tell your PR people that is not a reasonable position. You cannot ask me, the GM and the and the, the owner or the president or the head of PR cannot ask the GM to avoid that question. As a last case scenario, in a meltdown, oh my God, we're screwed scenario, we would have our PR guy jump in and say, Sorry, one more question. We would do little hand signals, but really when you work with a PR person long enough, like I did with PJ Laello and Matt Roebuck, they know, they know when it's time and they will step up without me even having to look. All right, one more question. All right, that's enough. He's got to go. All right, no more, nothing more to see here. All of that is normal operating procedure and it feels like the Ravens totally botched it for no reason. When you are doing a pre-draft presser and you have in your franchise the biggest story of the offseason next to Aaron Rodgers. Oh, here's the equivalent now that I think about it. I mean, which isn't to say I don't think about it before because I basically spend hours thinking about it. Here's how it goes. Green Bay Packers are meeting the media. Mike McCarthy's there. Yeah, I don't think we're going to answer anything about Aaron Rodgers. Come on, GMAB. Meanwhile, is Rodgers a, is he still a Packer, Coca? Hmm. Do you know why he's still a Packer? Anybody know? Because the Packers have all the leverage. The Jets are so screwed. Oh my God, it's so funny. They're going to have to give it up. I think the Packers, I told you this, I think they should make Aaron hold a clipboard. Play Jordan Love and tell Aaron to hold a clipboard. It's about time someone took control over Aaron Rodgers. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had Alex. (laughs) Okay, ready? 12, 18, 64, 9. Yesterday, we did a segment on Alex Verdugo and Alec Manoa. 
and we told you that Alec Manoa was pitching against the Kansas City Royals and Zach Greinke, and we said that Alec Manoa is going to be highly incentivized to shove it up the Royals' keister. And guess what? He did. Seven shutout innings, the Jays beat the Royals, were 47 and 49. How do you feel about Blake Snell being your number one starter? Yeah, I don't feel that great. I really don't. I don't think that a five and dive guy is someone who's going to be a number one starter. Tonight, the Padres are playing the Braves in Atlanta. If you're not paying attention to my preseason predictions and you're not paying attention to the Atlanta Braves, then you're missing the best lineup in sports. You're missing even with um, 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 Max Freed on the injured list. You're missing a team that's really good. And the guy throwing tonight is a guy named Spencer Strider. Can pitch. Braves are minus 165 over the Padres in Atlanta. They're only minus 165 because it's the Padres and people have some sort of proclivity to bet the Padres because they think they're so good. The Braves are better. Braves and Strider over Snell and the Padres is the pick of the day for Thursday. All right, let's spend a minute talking about Mark Cuban, if you don't mind. We've talked about him two days in a row, but he met the media yesterday and I was a little surprised at that. And the story is this, and here's why he met the media. There was a lot of talk when Luca, and, and here's how it works. Luca came out and said he misses Jalen Brunson. When you're an owner or the president of a team and your star says that and you're not going to make the playoffs or you're a game behind with two games to go, you still have a chance, but then it's a play-in and you were supposed to compete. You went to the Western Conference Finals last year. You then lost your point guard. Then you traded for Kyrie Irving when all of this is happening. But then Luca acknowledges the fact that there's a chemistry issue. There's a defensive issue. There's just plenty of issues. You've got to step in. It shouldn't be the owner, but someone has to step in. And I don't mean publicly, but I do mean behind the scenes. I'm calling members of the media. I'm having my PR people do it, but I'm making sure that certain members of the media are being called and told stories about why things happened the way they happened. It would be sources close to the president, or it would be a source who is not allowed to talk, who is granted anonymity, but who is in the room during the negotiations. A person who saw the text messages, but is not allowed to speak on the subject. I don't want to put a name behind it back in the day when I was running a team. Mark Cuban chose to put a name behind it, his own. And he met the media and showed text messages between him and the agent of Brunson. Him and his GM. Where it was made very clear to Mark Cuban that Brunson was going to New York. And it was made very clear that the Mavericks were not going to have a chance to even match a bid, make a bid, even though they could offer the most money to Brunson because of bird rights. It would have to be a sign and trade, but it doesn't matter the facts. Mark Cuban is angry because he didn't have a chance. And I tell you that that is incorrect. Mark Cuban made the decision that he didn't want to allocate the money that Brunson wanted. It was made clear to him that Brunson was going to be a $20 million player. And for whatever reason, he thought that his team did not need to allocate that money to Brunson. A year later, finds out that that's wrong, regrets letting Brunson go, realized he was far more of a glue piece than he thought. The team has imploded. You didn't hear Cuban complaining about this when the Mavericks were playing well, did you? But now that they're not, 
He had to come out and say that the problem is that the president of the Knicks used to be the agent for Jalen Brunson's father, Rick Brunson, who I watched play with the Knicks, that Rick Brunson is a Nick and that there was no doubt that Jalen was going to go to New York. Talk about crying over spilt milk. I find it to be very interesting that Cuban chose to do this because what exactly did you take from that? When he says, when Cuban actually says to you, we thought we could turn him around. We thought we could convince him to be a maverick. We didn't get the chance to. Of course, we wanted to re-sign him. We thought Brunson liked being here. Never gave us an indication he didn't like being here. And then Mark Cuban did something that is a violation on page six of the owner playbook. He called out the player's parents. Believe me, parents can get in the way. I'm in and I agree. But you don't call out players' parents publicly. Once you're out of the game and you have your own show, you can call out player parents. Player parents have a bigger impact than you think in the careers of these players, especially the younger ones. Especially when the parents were major athletes themselves. Take a look. So is it possible that Rick Brunson said to his son, you're coming to the Knicks? Is it possible it was a negotiated deal prior to him becoming a free agent? Yes, the Knicks got in trouble for tampering. Not only is it possible, but it actually happened. If you're Mark Cuban, you move on. You don't give this story any more oxygen. Talk about what you are doing in your current situation. Don't go back and say how unfair it was, how hurt you are. You sound like a baby. Boy, I'm so sad we never got a chance to match what the Knicks were going to do. I'm so sad that we never had a chance to really convince Jalen to stay here. I feel like he really liked us and liked it. Wah, wah, wah. Who cares? But if you're going to meet the media, Mark, you think you'd be prepared with the next question that was coming. What do you think the next question is? We just talked about people being prepared. Kyrie Irving. Tell me about it. Do you regret bringing in Kyrie Irving? And Mark Cuban did something that was awesome. I mean, awesome. He actually said that he plans to re-sign Kyrie Irving. He then acknowledged that while the maximum could be given to Kyrie Irving, he did not commit whether to give the max and said that it has to fit in with the rest of the roster given the new collective bargain agreement. You've read the new collective bargain agreement. He said, well, no, no one has, not even you. But there is a new collective bargain agreement and there is ample opportunity for teams to figure out what they should spend and how they should allocate their dollars. If you are the Mavericks, why are you committing right now to bringing back Kyrie Irving? Just because of yesterday, we said you have to save face. You have to make it look like the trade wasn't so bad. When you're trying to win a title and you know you've made a mistake, the faster you admit the mistake, the better chance you have of maybe winning the title. But compounding your mistakes, double downing on your mistakes, what a mistake that is. Maybe that's the biggest one of all. The old double down. Nope, not a good plan. Not a good plan. I'll tell you one thing. If Kyrie Irving goes back to the Mavericks, do you know where my head is? I'll tell you where my head is. Uh, they're not going to be good next year. Okay. Do you remember when we told you that we wanted to do a subscriber giveaway when we got to 12,000 subscribers? Well, we're at that part of the show. 
We're at, we're over 12,000 subscribers. We're trying to get to 20 and then 40 and then 50 and then 75 and then 100 and then go from there. I think that if we started using illegal clips of games, maybe we could get there faster, Coca. If we could just steal all sorts of copyrighted stuff and wait to get in trouble, we could probably get more subscribers. Maybe we could spend money and buy the rights to the clips and maybe that would do it. Nah, let's build it one at a time the way we're doing it. All right, here's the giveaway. I'm asking a trivia question. Coca told me there's a chat room that I've not been able to find, but if you are watching this live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson and you're in the chat room where you can communicate with Coca, the first person to answer this question is going to get a piece of memorabilia from me. Here it is. Name the first player to hit a home run at Marlins Park. The first road player and the first Marlin. If you can be the first person to name the first road player to hit a home run at Marlins Park and the first home player to hit a home run at Marlins Park, you will get a prize. And Coca has full authority to tell me who got it first and who's going to be the winner. I remember when Marlins Park was built that we were very clear we were not building it to be a home run park. And we were quite concerned, as a matter of fact. And the reason we were concerned is that we had the feeling that we were building it for pitchers, but would it be upsetting to players if they couldn't hit home runs? So we brought in Hanley Ramirez and a bunch of people when the building was under construction and we had them hit balls and they were hitting bombs all over the place. And so we tried to calm the players down. And then we brought them in for a BP and they were hitting bombs and we thought everything was going to be okay. But then the players said, by the way, this is a hitters. This is a pitcher's park. You're not making it fair. And we said, but wait a minute, it's way better to have pitching than hitting. Pitching and defense is what's going to win. That makes way more sense. But the walls were moved in when Stanton said, come on, David, you're killing the other players. You're not killing me. I can get a home run anywhere. But you're making players swing way too hard, and then they fly out to the center field track, and they get despondent. And lower the walls, because then we can jump over and make catches. So we did it. And, of course, we then studied it for a year. And there was absolutely no difference. And then all those players got traded. Not by us, though. Then they moved the walls in again, by the way. That's what people are doing. It's a constant adjustment. You move them in, you move them out, you move them up, you move them down. It's totally insane, right? You cannot change what you are doing according to the personnel you have. All right. Do we have a, we have a winner? All right. Look at the screen right now. We are showing you the winner. Who is it, Coca? It is Zachary. It was J.D. Martinez and Omar Infante. J.D. Martinez was playing for the Astros. He had a home run. We opened the ballpark against the Cardinals. We played one game to open the season, then went on the road. Then we came back and played the Astros. And J.D. Martinez hit a home run the first game back. It was a three-game series. Little known fact here. All of those three games, the final score was 5-4. And we could not get anyone in our great lineup, which we hoped was a great lineup in 2012, to hit a home run. And we had a internal thought of who would be the first one. You know, would it be Logan? We thought it would be Giancarlo. Guess who it was? It really was Omar Infante. And I have a huge picture of Omar with the swing of the first regular season home run in Marlins Park history. You're right. It's Omar Infante. Good one.
You win, Zachary. Get your information to Coca somehow, and we will send you something that you will enjoy. Well, that's it for today. But guess what? Tomorrow's Friday, which means we'll be back. It's just business. This is nothing personal.